the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Nah, man, you see how good I look? Nothing signifies that more than a pinch hitter winning a the game. They shouldn't have played the old Golden Blue. Not this night. Yes, sir. Not this night. We don't pay attention to what happens, what goes on, on the outside. We just do our job. Welcome to Panhandle Sports Live, the premier home for all things sport in the Eastern Panhandle. He's across midfield. He's into the open field. Touchdown, Martinsburg. Towards the pylon. Touchdown, Washington. Hear from the coaches and players that make the Eastern Panhandle the place for sports in the state of West Virginia. This kid, he's got silver bullets. And it's a two-possession lead for the Appleman. Gets a high snap. Robinson trying to get to the outside. Makes a jerk move. Gets to the inside. Keyshawn Robinson. Touchdown, Cougars. Be a part of the conversation on today's show by texting at 304-263-4321. The throw not in time. Hedgesville's going to Charleston. Gavin Young puts the drive up 9-63-54. The Spring Mills Cardinals, 18-0 to finish the regular season. Now, live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in historic Martinsburg. Get your popcorn ready. Panhandle Sports Live is on the air. And it is Panhandle Live for this 31st day of October, a spooky Halloween edition of the best sports talk show this uh, side of the Mississippi. How about that? I'm Luke Wiggs with uh, a special guest in the studio because joining us today it's Joey Franchise. It's Joey Burr. It's uh, Joe Shiesty. It's Joe Burrow himself. You know, it's funny because I look across from me and Parker Stone has donned himself, of course, a, 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 a Joe Burrow jersey and sunglasses and a shawl uh, that looks like it's cheetah print. With my glasses off, you look like Corella DeVille. But with my glasses <laughs> on, uh, you look like one of the best quarterbacks in the AFC right now. How are you today, sir? Hey, he's balling. That's our. Uh, it's a good impromptu costume. We'll call it that. This was thrown together about eight o'clock last night. So. Yeah, you know, it was funny, and and just because for good office camaraderie, they were making sure various people around the office. You know, you guys going to dress up tomorrow. You guys going to dress up tomorrow. And you know, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I'm going to pay rent this month. So I'm not going to go out to Party City and buy myself a costume. Yeah. So, you know, I'm donning a Vladimir Tarasenko St. Louis Blues jersey, and then you put a lot more effort into yours than mine, but it is a, a pretty awesome costume. So uh, I hope everybody's going to have a great Halloween. I appreciate you making us part of your Halloween morning. 304-263-4321 is our text line. Going to talk a lot of football today, although I know we're getting into sectional play for volleyball. Uh, we're going to keep an eye on those games that start tonight. I know a handful started yesterday around the state. Uh, but certainly more to keep an eye on. It's also State Soccer Championship Week. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the week. But coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by the voice of Parkersburg football. They're one half of our Panhandle High School football game of the week. They take on Musselman. We'll have Brian Thomas on tomorrow's show to talk about it as well uh, as it's a win-and-get-in situation for those two teams. And it uh, will all culminate to the end of the season this Friday night with our coverage beginning at approximately 645 but we're also getting close to the postseason in Division II football. And we had the Region One official playoff rankings, not the stupid way where they put out 10 alphabetical names. They actually ranked the teams 1 through 10 in the four regions. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the playoff structure of D2 football and which Shepard is a member, there are four regions. The teams now are currently ranked 1 through 10. And at the end of the season, the top seven, that's seven teams, 
from each region make the playoffs. The top seed gets a bye. Everybody plays everybody, and then you go on, so on and so forth, until the semifinals. Then you're able to cross over for the regions, and then you've got yourself a championship game. Shepard, 7-1, and one, was initially ranked in the alphabetical ranking, which was not a surprise to anybody. Had the season ended last Friday, Shepard would absolutely be in the playoffs. But then they were shocked. The world was shocked when Bloomsburg and the Huskies were able to defeat the Rams 14-10. to Now, with that said, it throws the postseason into jeopardy for Shepard, who are still ranked when the region rankings were released yesterday afternoon, number nine of the 10 teams in Super Region 1. But that means they have to win out. That means they have to get some help. Uh, Joe Burrow, are in studio Joe Burrow, Parker Stone, Dr. Stone, has been crunching the numbers and the possibilities. And you say... It's still a very realistic chance for Shepard to make the postseason. And not only that, they're not completely boxed out from potentially hosting in the first round. Please explain. So what we were able to dig up was that if if the Rams went out there in the playoffs, I, that's what I've came up with. East Stroudsburg is a big game. I, I don't have to tell you twice on that one. If the Rams are able to win the next two games and finish this season 10-2, and two, then I think they're in no matter what. And I think they host because right now the rankings come out. The only two things that are a given right now, I think, are Slippery Rock and Tiffin at one and two. I think those two teams will stay at one and two. Where it gets muddy is three and beyond. University of Charleston out of the Mountain East is number three right now. They have one loss to Fairmont State, and they're sitting in a threes hole. Uh, East Stroudsburg's the four. Then you go down the line, you see teams like uh, Fairmont State's in that conversation, Frostburg State's in that conversation, Shepherds in that conversation, Cal, New Haven. At, at top 10 has the rest of those teams sitting around that spot. But if they win out, I think they're able to host because East Stroudsburg has to play Cal at the end. They'll have to play Cal next week. So the, one of those two teams, if Shepard beats East Stroudsburg, East Stroudsburg-Cal becomes an elimination game, I think. So if that happens, and we think Kutztown is going to be eliminated with a third loss against Slippery Rock in the PSAC championship game. So if that happens, three spots clear out. And Charleston, if they went out, which looks like they are, they play West Virginia State is about 500. And I believe West Liberty, I'll have to well, check that Well, that was my times. concern, I think, when you look at it, is what happens if we have to send multiple teams from the MEC? Because that championship game is still going to get played. So right. the biggest thing that you because what happens if Fairmont beats UC again? Then they both then they're in. both in. I think yeah. that that's the that's one of the scenarios that concerns me. So for Rams fans, you were rooting heavily for Frostburg State is the what I've come up with. Or you're rooting for UC to finish the season undefeated. Yeah, yeah. It's one. It's one of the two. So Charleston again has one loss. Their one loss is against Fairmont State. Fairmont State plays Frostburg State upcoming very soon it's next the last week of the season fairmont state and frostburg state plays and i believe that should be a spot in the mountain east championship so if you root for frostburg state and frostburg state loses to charleston then you only get one team out of the mec i think but again if fairmont wins fairmont beats charleston twice then you've got a situation where you may have to send two teams in the mountain east into the playoff so that might muddy the waters. But again, if the Rams win out, I think they're in and I think they host. They, I think they get the four seed if they win that game. But if they drop to East Stroudsburg and win against Mercyhurst, 
you got to have a lot of scenarios play out. It it was a three-loss team. At that point, I think the committee would rather put Kutztown in as a three-loss team than opposed to Shepard as a three-loss team with the number of losses that the Rams have compared to Kutztown. Kutztown has the head-to-head win, as well as Kutztown's quality losses are Shepard assumption as well as Slippery Rock compared to the Rams, which that's the worst part about this. The Bloomsburg loss is a horrifically timed loss because out of all the teams that are in the contention right now, that's the worst loss on anybody's schedule for is Shepherds against Bloomsburg. But again, if the Rams handle business the next two weeks, you win out. I really I really think they get the four seed and they get that last spot to host in the first round. And hopefully maybe things play out. We could have a little across uh, the border rivalry and Frostburg State could come over and play Shepherd in the first round. I think that'd be fantastic. But all it all it needs to happen, take care of this week. You take care of East Stroudsburg and then don't think Mercyhurst is a as a cakewalk. I think that's my maybe what happened against Bloomsburg. Maybe they, it was thought of to be a cakewalk and it wasn't the case. But again, next two weeks, if business gets handled, the Rams are the four seed, I believe. So I'm sure that was a little bit confusing, a little bit of math here on a Tuesday morning. But once again, the the Region One playoff rankings go like this: Slippery Rock from the PSAC, Tiffin, uh, who is from Tiffin, Ohio, of course, uh, Charleston from the MEC. At number three, East Stroudsburg, who Shepard is playing this Saturday. At number four, Frostburg State, we're all too familiar with in the MEC. At number five, Cal, who Shepard has beaten earlier this season. At six, Kutztown, who defeated the Rams and gave them their first loss of the season at seven. Fairmont State at eight, Shepard at nine, and New Haven from Connecticut at ten. Or is it Massachusetts? One of those two up east. Connecticut, yeah. yeah New Haven, Connecticut. I also, was there last year. I'll, I'll interject here. There was an interesting theory that Inkblot brought up. Again, great follow on Twitter, Inkblot Sports, if you want to keep, keep track with the D2 bracketology. So there could be a weird scenario if New Haven were able to get in. Again, they're 10 right now. They have three losses, I think, currently. If New Haven would somehow be able to sneak in, there is a weird scenario by ruling the NCAA D2, if you are closer to a team in another super region, you can put them into the other bracket. It could be a case maybe New Haven, because New Haven's 600 plus miles away from Tiffin and Charleston if they're a seven seed or a six seed. Possibility they get sent to Super Region 4 in that case. So that could open up a spot. Hopefully it doesn't come down to that for Shepard to hope somebody gets moved to get into a spot. But it's it's very convoluted right now. A lot of the results from this week are, I think are going to tell us a little bit. If Shepard wins against East Stroudsburg, I think the waters are clear. It's a clear path to Shepard to the four seed. If not, then we we got to hope and pray for a lot of stuff to happen at this point for Shepard to return to Super Region 1. Well, the other top teams in the other Super Regions and Super Region 2, it's Benedict and undefeated record, Pittsburgh State and Super Region 3. And the all-too-familiar Colorado School of Mines, a perfect 9-0 and in the season with John Matoka and the most unique team pictures you've ever seen in your life that are currently leading Super Region 4. We've got to break the take when we return. Turn our attention to Monday Night Football. Raiders laid an egg. Josh McDaniels might be the worst coach in NFL history. We'll also look back at that World Series game because we've got World Series action tonight here on WBPM and WCST. And stay tuned. We're going to be talking a little Parkersburg football. For the Musselman fans, you get to know your enemy a little bit as this Halloween edition of Panhandle Sports Live continues on in just a moment. Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live. Heard on the Panhandle News Network.
Well, it was another game and another win for the Road Warriors and the Texas Rangers who have jumped out to a two games to one series lead. You could have heard it and you can continue to hear games from the 2023 World Series here on WEPM and WCST. But let's listen back to what was the decisive hit. You didn't know it at the time. Uh, but Corey Seager's two-run home run. This is on KRLD from a Rangers perspective uh, to give the Rangers a three-to-one or nothing lead that they were able to hang on to. Here's Corey Seager who swings and drives one deep to right. It sails way out of here. Corey Seager with a line drive home run, a good dozen rows into the seats in right. He's given Texas a three-nothing lead. They went on to win 3-1. to one. Max Scherzer got pulled with back tightness after three innings, so it was John Gray that they turned to out of the bullpen to give him three innings. And then after that, they used three different pitchers, Park. And that's the biggest concern for me from this game from a Rangers perspective uh, because you got the victory. Obviously, you want to try to win the game. It's the World Series, for crying out loud. But you've got three games in a row. So you've got Game 4 tonight, you had Game 3 yesterday, and you've got Game 5 on Wednesday. And you used a pretty healthy number of arms from the back end of that bullpen that is a concern for me when you have a starter go past the third. Now John Gray can't pitch until game six. You know, And these guys that threw an inning are potentially able to throw again today, but then they won't be able to pitch on Thursday. You know, Are you concerned from that perspective, from a Rangers standpoint, You know, having to use some high-profile arms in the back end of this game, including Jose LeClerc, who struck out too, um, as you go into the next couple of games against Arizona? Well, what it tells me is, is that Texas needs to close out this series in five games yeah. is more or less with the amount of pitching issues that they've been having with players getting hurt, Max Scherzer unable to stay healthy. they, they got to close this out in five probably. If the series gets tied tonight, then I think it favors Arizona going down the stretch. But yeah, I, that's the biggest weakness. Texas has a fantastic offense. The top of their pitching's fantastic with Montgomery, with all that they've brought in. But it's the bullpen. Outside of Jose Leclerc, they're not turning to much of anything else in the bullpen. So it's the the way Texas has gotten to this point is that their starters have gone deep into games and they've only had to really call on Jose Leclerc. If they're unable to do that now. This really favors the Arizona Diamondbacks. I, I'm very trepidatious on Texas. I think they need to win tonight to win the World Series. If not, if it goes 2-2, two and two, I think Arizona ter- takes the driver's seat and they have the advantage now going into Game 5. So we'll have to see how that plays out. As of right now, I think Arizona might put themselves into the driver's seat. I think Arizona's got a good chance to win Game 4 and kind of pick up the pieces from where it was because it's a it's a Rangers team. Again, if things have to go their way to win games, and things have gone their way to win games a lot of this World Series and a lot of this playoffs, but it's an Arizona team. Again, we've seen them get hot. We've seen them beat juggernauts like the Dodgers and like the Phillies. They've rallied back before, so I think it's very possible. I, I'm not going to tease anything, but I, I think Arizona has a really good chance to pull off a win and even the series again tonight. The Rangers, as you might have heard, undefeated on the road this season, which also doesn't bode well for Arizona uh, in the postseason, mind you, not the season. That would be pretty spectacular. Uh, but game four, you can watch it on Fox, but why would you do that when you could hear it here on WEPM and WCST? The pregame coverage provided by ESPN Radio with Kevin Winter will begin at about 7 o'clock. And then first pitch right on the dot at 8 o'clock here tonight. We'll be carrying game four today, and we'll be carrying game five tomorrow. Although tomorrow, editor's note, is a join in progress after high school sports line. We'll join that game in progress at uh, 9 o'clock, and you're certainly not going to want to miss that. So I was in here yesterday making sure everything ran okay. 
had the opportunity that no longer became an opportunity, and it became a curse because I got to watch my beloved Las Vegas Raiders embarrass themselves uh, to no end last night on Monday Night Football. Uh, this was a game um, that Jimmy Garoppolo did not play well. Raiders lose 26-14. to You say, well, it's a 12-point game. There was a pick six. The Raiders turned the ball over twice and were not able to muster more than seven points on offense, and that was a drive that was quite literally the Josh Jacobs drive who single-handedly got the Raiders into the end zone. Good news for Lions fans who, and I don't get me wrong, I love Dan Campbell. I'm, I'm a huge fan of his but very frustrated the way that he would not use first-round pick Jameer Gibbs to start the season until David Montgomery got hurt. Now Gibbs has been playing, and he's been proving to everybody why he was a first-round selection at running back. Here's a 27-yard touchdown run of his that put this game beyond doubt. First down from the 27-yard line of the Raiders. Goff takes the snap, gives to Gibbs. Gibbs bounces through a hole. There it goes, outside 20. Gibbs, 15, Gibbs, 10, angling to the end zone. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. Oh, baby, what a run. What a run. And a lot of takeaways from this game from a Raiders standpoint, especially wide receiver Devontae Adams, who was overthrown on a short touchdown, although he did have a couple drop issues of his own in this game. Uh, he and Jimmy Garoppolo were certainly not on the same page. And Devontae said after the game, it's uh, – he has no words. I honestly, I, I don't know what to say at this moment. I, I truly don't. I wish I had the, the words to, you know, to say something that's not going to get blown up in the media and, and taken out of context. So I'm going to just, I, I truly, I just don't know. So not good for the best wide receiver of this generation to be saying that in a game where he couldn't get the ball. Not good for Josh McDaniels to still be the head coach of the Raiders and for Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, to have already confirmed that he wants McDaniels to come back and coach the team next season, despite him having one of the worst losing records uh, of any NFL coach in history. This Raider defense was unbelievable last night, but they were on the field for so long that they fell apart late. The Raiders are an embarrassment. They really are. Watching them last night as a Raider fan, I was embarrassed that my team was on primetime. For the people that for so long wanted to throw stones at Derek Carr, at the very least, Derek Carr gave the, the Raiders a chance to win and was incredibly entertaining in primetime. Ravens fans, I don't have to remind you of that a season ago. Josh McDaniels comes and he takes a playoff team that was led by Rich Bisaccia that had a, a player go to the jail for killing a person that had another team, a player kicked off the team for showing an assault rifle on Instagram and somehow still managed to get into the postseason and take Joe Burrows in studio with us today. Joe Burrows bangles down to the last play of the game and throw that all away in the course of a season. Ran out there at Carr, completely sucked the soul out of Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, Max Crosby, traded Darren Waller, and in the process blew an a record number of double-digit leads in an NFL season and blamed it consistently on his players. Josh McDaniels is a joke. I understand that nobody cares about the Raiders in this market, so I'll end my comments there. He needs to be fired because this Raider fan base deserves more than the trash that's been put out on the field because of Josh McDaniels every week. So I put a poll up on Twitter, and I, I just retweeted it over to, at our uh, Panhandle Sports Live account at EP Sports Network on Twitter. If you want to take part in this poll, we're, we're – keeping track of this does Devonte adams get traded at the trade deadline i don't what, think so i i want to say no but i don't think they can facilitate that quick enough it's that if, it's they, if they trade him it's going to be it's going to be the biggest fleece in nfl history because they have very little leverage right now it's yeah i mean it's i guess the the old phrase is you make the bed you lay in and Devonte adams chose to take the money with the trade to the raiders but i also understand that 
part of that was reuniting with his college quarterback Derek Carr and Derek Carr was unserious unceremoniously dumped out of Vegas so it's it's a really tough situation for the Raiders right now. It's a team that needs to probably tear down, go back to square one, and completely rebuild. I think you you should trade Devontae Adams. I would almost debate you trade Josh Jacobs and or Max Crosby as well and get as much draft capital as you can and really try and build this thing. Josh McDaniels should not be an NFL head coach. He needs to be fired immediately. He He's not good at all. It's a it's a team that's they're no they're in no position to win right now. I think they're by far and away the worst team in the AFC West. The Chiefs are better, although they lost this weekend. I would say the Chargers are better, although they choke all the time. And then you could argue the Broncos maybe. I think they're on the same playing field, but at least the Broncos have shown at least some signs of offense this year. But it's that's a really discouraging performance for the Raiders. And if if it's me, I'm trading Devontae Adams today and trying to get something. I out just of don't him. think they're going to be able to. Get I, what yeah, they I don't. Want. I don't think so either. I think it's they, if too they fast. try to trade Devontae today, they walk away with two second round picks, and that's an embarrassment because they traded what two firsts to get him. You know, they 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 need to hang on to Devontae. I mean, unless he demands a trade, which it sounds like he might, and then things are just going to get weird. Anyways, I don't want to bring everybody down on a on a Halloween edition of Panhandle Sports Live. Coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to be joined uh, by the voice of Parkersburg. Uh, the Big Red are coming up to Musselman in a really, really, really important game this Friday night. And uh, we also had a Woj bomb for the NBA fans that we'll talk about later on in the show. James Harden got traded at approximately 2 o'clock in the morning. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the show, as well as it is Panhandle Sports Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. Want to revisit an episode of Panhandle Sports Live? Follow the Panhandle News Network on Spotify today. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting from the Hoppy Kirchville building here in Martinsburg. It's Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone hanging out with you here on this uh, Halloween edition. Uh, we're going to be in Inwood coming up this Friday night with a 7 p.m. kickoff. Our pregame coverage will begin at 645 at Denny Price Stadium. It is the last game played on that field on natural gas. Or great natural gas. Natural that, gas. That's alarming. Uh, natural grass. They're turfing it uh, next season, so it's the last chance for the Appleman on one of the most historic fields in the state. Uh, to do battle, and they will do so uh, against Parkersburg. And uh, John Chalfin is somebody that knows a little something about Parkersburg football. We're talking about another program that has an absolute uh, massive amount of history. He joins us this morning. Well, we're talking to you from opposite ends of the state, John, but how are you this morning? I'm doing very well. It's good to talk to you guys. Uh, it's uh, always fun to make that trip over to Musselman and see a, a different uh, part of West Virginia. Yeah, that's certainly. Well, let's talk about last week and start there for Parkersburg because I think that's what makes this game, you know, so enticing from both a Musselman and a Parkersburg perspective. It was a tough loss to Spring Valley, a game that Parkersburg was competitive in the entire way, but lose by six points. You know, your playoff hopes kind of get thrown into a little bit of jeopardy with a loss like that. I mean, is this going to be a really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, desperate and aggressive Parkersburg team that's coming up to play in the Eastern Panhandle this Friday? I think my perception of it will be they will have to become very businesslike and probably one of the things that could be considered, uh, I don't know if you'd say a weakness, but something that probably hasn't been uh, a way that the team wanted this season to um, play out is the fact that they, they've done something well they did uh, uh, they turned the ball over in that spring valley game four times total two 
pick sixes and then a fumble late in the ball game that really led uh, where the Big Reds were moving the ball late in the ball game and uh, really uh, cost themselves a chance to either um, get uh, a win, eke out a win in that game. And I think that was one uh, ball game I think probably uh, got away from the Big Reds, one they probably could have won. But uh, when you have turnovers like that, and something that's been atypical of the team up in, until that point. Well, I think there's some similarities between how the seasons have gone for both of these teams. When you look uh, for Parkersburg, obviously I don't need to tell you how impressive the start of the season was, uh, You know, not allowing a defensive touchdown until Week 4. And that Week 4 game in and of itself, a really impressive win against the Parkersburg South team. You win by seven points, and at that time I'm sure riding high at 4-0. And then you had a really tough stretch of games against really tough teams that kind of dinged up the record a bit before you came back and beat Capital. So, you know, from a broad perspective, this season for Parkersburg, um, you know, a high at the beginning of the season, putting up some massive numbers, and maybe that low point there at the end of the season, and then trying to figure things out over these last couple of weeks. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that that's very fair, Luke. And I think the thing about it is uh, the Big Reds still have something to play for at this point of the season. Now, while the record may not indicate it, I, I think one of the things about this team, especially uh, from last year, uh, is these uh, kids who are seniors for the Big Reds obviously want to go out, uh, not just ending it here at uh, Musselman, but to, to get into the playoffs. And, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's very fair. It's, it's just obviously been a very pass-oriented team. And, and uh, you know, they probably – and they haven't had their leading uh, receiver uh, for the last four games. They've been kind of holding him out and hoping uh, he'll get, uh, you know, a little bit better. And, and he's been cleared to play, but they, they didn't want to risk re-injuring uh, – uh, his foot uh, here late in the season. But I, I think you've stated it very well, uh, and I think the high point of the season to this point has been that win over Parkersburg South and maybe one that they got that they weren't expected to get at that point of the season. Well, John, let's get a little deeper into the personnel now. What's some of the bigger players and impact guys that are going to be on this big Reds team as they come into Inwood, and what's some of the best things that Parkersburg does offensively and defensively? I think, first of all, for the uh, Big Reds, uh, offensively, it kind of goes with their quarterback, David Parsons. He's a senior. He's just the fourth uh, Big Red quarterback to throw over 2,000 yards in a season uh, in the entire history of the program. So that'll give you uh, some idea of how valuable he is in the team. He's also the team's second-leading rusher, and although those totals aren't as uh, as flashy, but still he can provide a good uh, relief in the running game uh, for uh, the Big Red Ball Club. And then in the receiving uh, stand, uh, from the receiving standpoint, you have um, uh, the four, uh, actually, yeah, four receivers, although they've been relying on three the last few weeks. Uh, you've got Anthony Ice, who has nearly 600 yards in receiving, uh, Andrew Stonecker has uh, 508 yards receiving Matthew Stonecker, twin brothers uh, that will be out there on Friday. And then Casey Stanley, uh, who is also an all-state uh, kicker and punter. And uh, he's added 308 yards uh, in receiving. And uh, you also will see a couple of individuals in the backfield, Jaquel Shelton, uh, who is kind of the speedy 
back, uh, and then you have also Jason Williams, who has played just in five games and is more of your uh, typical style fullback or a, a guy that will get in there and just mix it up um, in the um, in the uh, in the running game. Um, of course, you have some uh, players. You mentioned defense there as well, and I think one of the things about that is the fact that uh, you have some of those same names. And one of the things the Big Reds um, have have uh, I guess maybe suffered from a little bit is the fact they have a lot of guys uh, going both ways. You have the Stonikers who uh, provided a good uh, uh, read there, Parsons in the defensive backfield as well, and it's been really a team effort defensively for the big reds well take us through these wide receivers then specifically if you don't mind john because you know oh, yeah, sure. as you mentioned they present some unique challenges with a quarterback that can really sling it you know muscleman is a player or a team i should say that doesn't have you know necessarily a lot of two-way guys at that defensive back position so you know are we looking at big speed guys possession guys you know what do these wide receivers do well i think the main thing is they're able to find those locations in space and uh, when you look at uh, Stoniker and, well, the Stoniker brothers, both very similar, um, they will be uh, very good at finding open spaces in defense. And then once they get the ball, uh, maintaining possession of it. Uh, Anthony Ice, if we see him, and I have a feeling we will see him on Friday night, he is the speedy uh, speedy. Uh, guy of all of the receivers. He is the one that has kind of that breakaway speed. Not a real tall kid, but yet when he gets the ball in space, again, that's kind of a cliche. That's where you want where you want your receivers to be. He can uh, really uh, turn on the afterburners there and provide a, a good offensive um, uh, complement for the Big Reds. Uh, then you have Casey Stanley. He is a good possession receiver as well, and he has a little bit of height. I think he goes right around 6'2", 6'3", and he uh, has the ability a lot of times to go up and and get some balls there uh, in the receiving uh, game too. So at different points over the season, uh, each have had their moments where they've uh, had big-time plays and been very uh, key in some big Reds wins. Well, John, I'm going to let you go on a, a little bit of a difficult question then, if you don't mind, because, of course, oh. you're talking about a, a high-profile, high-octane offense, and we're in Musselman country right now, and I'm sure there's some Appleman fans that are listening that are sweating a little bit about this matchup. On the flip side of things, you've got an Appleman team that's got one of the better pass rushes because one of the best defensive players in the state, and Troy Wollaston plays for them, and they're a team that really likes to pound the rock with some wildcat football and a quarterback that can take some shots downfield. Where is Parkersburg a little bit susceptible? You know, Where should Musselman fans maybe hang their head on and saying, if we were able to do these things, we can uh, stand toe-to-toe with the Big Reds and try to pick up that win and get us into the postseason? Well, you're, you're putting me kind of in a difficult spot, <laughs> but I understand that that's kind of your your job and thing and things to do. It really depends, I think, uh, a lot. And I think one of the keys you've already mentioned is the fact that natural grass surface. The Big Reds have not played on a natural ga- grass surface until last week uh, at uh, at Spring Valley, and that that field uh, for as being late in the season as it is um, was uh, looked like a golf. Uh, like a fairway on a country club. But uh, I, I think probably um, the, the whole issue maybe will be how well the big reds can pursue 
from uh, sideline to sideline. That if, if Musselman can get the ball onto the edges and they do a good job of sealing off the edges, that can cause some problems to the big reds. Really, even those in some of those uh, losses, uh, when you look at Cabell Midland, that game was close at halftime, and uh, the George Washington loss was by 11 points. Uh, the Big Reds did a good job defensively, uh, sideline to sideline. So if there is a susceptibility, maybe that way, teams have had trouble uh, running the ball uh, against the Big Reds right up the middle. So that, to me, uh, in the run game and, and maybe uh, uh, the short passing game might cause the Big Reds some, some issues. Well, our guest this morning has been John Schoff, and he's going to be on the broadcast from a Parkersburg perspective coming up this Friday uh, as Parkersburg travels uh, to take on the boys down the road here in the Panhandle uh, in Kelly Green in Inwood. And, John, I appreciate you navigating a tough question there at the end. And, of course, I appreciate you giving us the time this morning. Oh, absolutely, guys. Thank you. All righty, thank you very much. And, again, John Schoffman, who will be calling the game from a Parkersburg perspective. I think the most interesting thing of that interview, well, it's twofold. Number one, this is one of the best wide receiving cores maybe in the entire state. But number two – a sneaky little nugget there at the end just their second game on natural grass and you know as a team that it's all about timing all about throwing the ball down the field all about that high octane passing attack I think there are some unique challenges that are going to be uh, playing on natural grass and potentially an advantage there for the Appleman no there's always a weird difference when you go from the natural grass to the turf and back and forth between those two but yeah, this is going to be a fun matchup, I think. It's Parkersburg, a team that started off really hot, looked like a top five or six team in the state after a win over Parkersburg. But kind of like how Musselman has been, they had a really tough stretch of games against Huntington, Cabell Midland, a Spring Valley team that's gotten really hot at the right time, and against a GW team that's turned around their season after a tough start. It, it's going to be a backs-up-against-the-wall situation for both these teams. It's going to be high-octane. It's a defense for Musselman versus an offense that's put up a lot of numbers for Parkersburg the x factor for Musselman in this game is can the offense play like they did against Washington because it looked like finally things came together for Musselman Thompson looked great the rushing attack was fantastic having Isaiah Beard and back 100% really helped Musselman a lot if that offense can get rolling I really like Musselman in this matchup against Parkersburg but the big reds do offer a lot of troublesome things for Musselman if things end up going their way well, it all culminates in a Week 11 matchup between 5-4 and four Parkersburg and 4-5 and five Musselman this Friday night. A potential win-and-get-in situation for the Appleman. We'll talk more about the playoff scenarios for all four remaining EPAC teams that are going to have a chance of playing in the postseason a little bit later on in the week when we can crunch the numbers. But we've got another break to take. A Halloween edition of Parker's Picks on the other side. We'll also react to that James Harden trade as you're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Follow our socials for updates on live broadcasts of local games. And one of those local games we were just discussing, Panhandle Game of the Week this Friday night. Musselman and Parkersburg will kick off at 7 o'clock in Inwood. Final game of natural gas at Denny Price Stadium. And uh, one of the more electric finishes to the regular season, I am sure, as we get into the postseason. But before we do that, we got to get into Parker's picks. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 luck. Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it, it's never fails. Never failed once. All right, Parker's picks for Monday Night Football. We ended up going two for three. Our lock hit. Jameer Gibbs had his over three and a half catches. He had five. The Lions were able to cover the two and a half point spread. We set it as an alternate. 
Jamison Williams was just a little bit short on receiving yards. He had 16. The line was set at 24 and a half. So it's one of the last times we get to do this together for this season, and it breaks my heart a little bit because it's been such a fun ride since we started this up around the summertime. It's the Halloween edition of Dinger Tuesday. Crash. I forgot to pull it up on the computer. <laughs> it's okay. I, I, I was by. I, I couldn't tell if you were saying elaborate. I was trying to get you to stretch. I, I, I thought you. I thought you were saying hurry it up and get to the. Get no, to the no, day. no, no, no. I was, I was. Well, while while we wait for the thunder, it's it's rolling in. It's it's rolling. It's the it's waiting on the cold weather. It's right nearby. Now. It's it's nearby. It's coming toward us right now. So we'll get into our bonus picks before we reveal our Dinger Tuesday player. And this is all BMLB focused. So we have in this game. We're going to have Corbin Carroll getting a hit. We have Tommy Pham, who as well is going to get a hit. And finally, the moment you have been waiting for, Halloween edition of Dinger Tuesday. We are rocking with Cattell Marte as today's Tuesday pick. Plus 500 odds. It's the third most on FanDuel right now. Cattell does good against left-handed pitching. I'm taking him to get a hit today and get that home run and knock it out of the park. We're rocking with Cattell Marte as today's Dinger Tuesday pick. And again, as well, our bonus picks, Corbin Carroll and Tommy Pham get hits for the Diamondbacks today. Those are today's picks. All right, I'm here for it. Like you said, final time we'll be able to do Dinger Tuesday this uh, this year. All right, well, in the dying seconds of the show, we have to react to what the world reacted to when they opened up their phones this morning. Uh, and that was a, a pretty substantial Woj bomb uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers trading one James Harden. So James Harden and P.J. Tucker are being sent to the Los Angeles Clippers. In return, Nicholas Batum, who I forgot was still in the league, Marcus Morris, who I cannot stand, Robert Covington, who's one of the most underappreciated players of his ge- generation, K.J. Morton, and draft compensation. Interesting trade uh, from a Clippers point of view. There's going to be a lot of ball-dominant players on that team. Uh, and from the Sixers' point of view, I think we have different perspectives. I still think the Sixers are trying to get the most value they can out of James Harden and try to run it this season with Embiid, with Tobias Harris, with Tyrese Maxey, and now probably the best depth of out of anybody in the Eastern Conference. Although you said it's more so of a move of a Sixers team that might look to trade Embiid and uh, tear it down. So your takeaways first from a Sixers' point of view before we talk about the Clippers. Well, for the Sixers, I feel like it's just I'm shocked. I, I'm shocked that they still weren't able to get Terrence Mann out of this deal. I think if they would have gotten Terrence Mann out of it, I think this is a big win for the Sixers. They're able to deal James Harden. They're able to get him out and get Terrence Mann back, who's going to be another key piece in that team. The inability to get him in the trade or anyone who really is of any note. I mean, these are all the, the best piece I think out of this group is either Rocco or KJ Martin, one of the two. Batum's aging. Marcus Morris is aging. Robert Covington, again, is a the perfect 3 and D complimentary player for the Sixers team. I like him a lot. And then KJ Martin's at least a young piece. But I don't know. It's. It's going to be weird for this team to be fully focused on. I mean, can Tyrese Maxey take that step? Tyrese Maxey has to play like an all-star player now. Can he do that yet is my question. If he can, then okay. It kind of softens the blow a little bit. You can keep Embiid. It's just finding that third piece, I feel like, now. Who's going to be that third piece? Do you trust Tobias Harris scoring 15 to 20 points a night? I sure as heck don't. I I don't know who is going to be that third piece in that offense is the problem now for the Sixers. Is it Fred Van Vliet? Is that the guy who's going to be scoring 20 points a night? He's done it before in Toronto, but I don't know if I trust him to consistently do it, and I don't know how – 
maybe maybe it's just a weird fit or maybe how that's going to work but they're going to have to depend a lot on Fred VanVleet. I'm worried that him and Tyrese Maxey's playing styles could clash with one another, but I think overall I like the, I like the depth that the Sixers got coming back for James Harden, but I, d- we got to see it in action first. If this is able to work then maybe this is still a top 4 team in the East, but right now it tells me that the Sixers are probably in a tier two in the Eastern Conference right now, with the obvious tier one, I think, being the Bucks and the Celtics. They're firmly in the tier two conversation with teams like the Knicks and the Cavaliers at this point. A couple quick things from the, the Sixers' point of view. Number one, Tyrese Maxey's almost scored 100 points through the first three games of the season. Uh, and Kelly Oubre looks unbelievable to start the year for the Sixers as well. He's averaging 19 a game. And uh, don't forget the Anthony Milton. Come, I mean, come on. I, the only thing I don't like about this trade from a Sixers point of view when you're trying to get what you can for a star uh, is that they still gave up P.J. Tucker because I really like him as a rotational piece, although he had gotten off to a pretty anemic start to start the year. But you're right. I mean, you're looking at a team now that's big three is uh, Maxi Harris, and Embiid with the shades of Kelly Oubre and then really good depth behind that. I'm curious what the starting lineup's going to be, who's going to slot into the two for this team. Um, I don't know. But from a Sixers perspective – you got to talk about the star power. I mean, if this was six years ago, this team would be an undisputed NBA champion. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Russell Westbrook reuniting with James Harden. Uh, that's about as good as it gets. However, all of those four have to be on the floor at the same time, probably with Ivaka Zubac uh, starting at the five, and Norman Powell, and I guess Bones Highland would be their sixth, man, or sixth and seventh man. There's going to be a lot of mouths to feed. You know, Russell Westbrook is what let me look has taken nine shots a game he's probably only going to be able to take five or six Mm. because James is going to want to get fed George is going to get fed Leonard's going to want to get fed you know meshing this all together is not going to be an easy task but there is now star power on the Clippers yeah definitely so and uh note there don't know why I thought Fred Van Vliet signed with the 76ers he signed with the Rockets I was also wondering where you were going with that I (laughs) my bad on that one I don't know why I thought that but yeah for the Clippers sake it's going to be interesting. I'm more concerned. Can this team play 50 games together more than anything else? Because Kawhi seems to always be hurt. Paul George has been hurt a lot. James Harden's missed a lot of games. Hey, these guys are, I mean, they were the stars of the 2010s decade for the NBA, but now some of these guys are getting a little bit older, getting past their prime. Is this a Clippers team that can contend with these guys when you've got a great young core building in Denver? You've got the Lakers who are still at least a threat at some point. I mean, you still have to consider them at least. Golden State, Sacramento, the list goes on. It it goes on. Can the Clippers with an aging core now? So George is 33, Leonard's 32, Westbrook's 34, I'm sorry, 35, and Harden's 34. So yeah. you're right. These guys have this is the the twilight of their prime. They have probably two years together to really try and make a run at it. And can they do that? I'm concerned with feeding all these players is the thing. Is James Harden going to act like a point guard and Russell Westbrook's going to be a slashing two for this team? Is that how they're gonna work it? Is James Harden going to go back to try and be what he was in Houston as a playmaking two? Because I mean we've We've seen Russell Westbrook and James Harden play together before in Houston, and that obviously didn't work out. So I, I'm i confused as to why we think it's going to work a second time, and we're also throwing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George into the mix. I I don't know how this team is going to work. And also, James Harden is firmly setting in his diva status. This is his fourth <laughs> team in three years. So be that as it may.
of the uh, players that will get double-digit minutes for the Clippers, only three of them are under the age of 30. Ivaka Zubac, Bones Highland, and Kenyon Martin. Uh, although Kenyon Martin... KJ Martin got traded in the deal. That's right, you're so right. I was about to say, his minutes are about to go down, but he just got dealt. Uh, so his minutes for the Clippers are absolutely going to go down. So two of the double-digit minute minutees for this team uh, are under the age of 30. That's going to be something that's interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, by the way, the Wizards tried something bold last night. It was called not play a center, and they got <laughs> blown out by the cell. I mean, talk, I, I, finally, hopefully, they, they're, they're bad enough to tank, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, you know, anything else that's really stood out to you from the NBA to start the season? Like you mentioned, the Western Conference is going to be nuts. They've got two unbeatens right now in the Mavericks and uh, the Nuggets. Um, and then outside of that, I mean, the Pelicans have surprised me a little bit with the way they've started the season. It's been odd to watch Memphis start 0-4, albeit without Jaw and Steven Adams going down has hurt them as well. And then the Eastern Conference, I think there's a pretty strong line of demarcation. Pacers, Bucks, I don't know if I want to put the magic in there yet. Sixers, Celtics at the top, and then pretty much everybody else in the bottom slugging it out to get knocked out in the first round. So, you know, I know we're just three, four games into the NBA season, but not, has anything really jumped off the page to you? Um, I think for the most part, I would say we'll have to see. I'm interested to see how these young teams in the West take strides this year, being San Antonio, being Oklahoma City. How are those two teams going to make strides? In the Eastern Conference, again, I think it's going to come down to Boston, Milwaukee. And then if the team, the other teams, like I think there's a t obvious tier two with your Knicks, with your Cavaliers and your Philadelphia 76ers, that could maybe take a team to seven games out of those two. But I think the East at this point, we're just, we're just waiting for what will be a formality, which will be Bucks and Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. All right, there you have it. The final words belong to uh, the world's greatest Joe Burrow impersonator, Parker Stone. Stay tuned. Coming up top of the hour, we'll have another edition of Panhandle Live. You're not going to want to miss that. And then tomorrow's Panhandle Sports Live will be joined by Musselman head football coach Brian Thomas. But I hope everybody has a great Halloween. We'll talk to you tomorrow. CST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.